0: define what a parable is so that you get a good handle on it. A parable is a comparison, a familiar story drawn alongside of a truth of profound importance. It's not an allegory. How many of you have heard the word allegory? In other words, these are words which are used figuratively. There are places when there there's allegories in the scripture, but the scripture is not allegory. A A proverb is not an allegory. It's not just something we make up. It's not a proverb. A proverb is a statement of fact without a story attached. A statement of fact without a story attached. And it's not a fable. And a fable is a fantasy. This is the real deal. Don't let people tell you that it's a myth. Don't let people tell you it's a fantasy. And when they do tell you that, say, prove it. A lot of times they're just saying something that they heard somebody else say. And when you put it to them, would you be so kind? Of as to? When people have said to me in the past, there's so many errors in the Bible, so many contradictions, I said, can you give me three? And they look at me, kind of dumbfounded and bewildered. I say, can you give me one? And guess what? They can't. Don't be afraid to challenge that lovingly. Jesus used parables when he preached. Matthew 13, 34 says, all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. He used them a lot. We'll see the numbers in a minute. His parables were about the basics of life, things that wouldn't lose their meaning over the centuries. These accounts these parables, if you will, are viable today. We can learn so much from them. I wanted to give you a few examples of what these parables contain. And uh, this, by the way, would be a great starting place for a uh, series of parables, but we're gonna do Christmas first. Here's a exa- first example, a father, this is a parable. A father with two sons, one arrogantly leaves home, gets in trouble, his friends abandon him. He sheepishly comes home again. His father welcomes him with open arms. The other son is jealous. Sound like something that's contemporary? Have you heard that before? You've got people in your family. Okay, Don't tell me. Number two, a builder constructs a home foolishly, abandoning wise building techniques. The house collapses. Did we see that in Florida? Where those apartments collapsed into a, into a black hole or whatever it was? Third, a man is mugged, and all the good people in town just walk by him as if he didn't exist. He's helped by a social outcast. Do you remember the essence of those? Do you remember a parable that goes along with that? But all of these things are real life stuff, and Jesus puts them down in writing and documents them because he knows 2,000 years later, when we hear them, they will be applicable to our life to your life situation. There's one there for you. There are 39 parables in all. Five parables concern God's love in Jesus. Three parables concern Israel. Four parables concern salvation. Nineteen parables concern Christian living, teaching us how we ought to do this. Eight parables concern the positive and negative consequences of our life choices. I think that covers a wide spectrum Something there for you. Why did Jesus use parables? Well, that's the same question the disciples asked. They asked him this in Matthew 13, 11, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why do you do that? Matthew 13, 35, he answers, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. And the prophets told that Jesus would open his mouth and he would teach in parables. So this concept of parables is also a proof text of Old Testament prophecy of Jesus. It's one of the the small pieces in the jigsaw that make you know that Jesus is the promised Messiah because the promised Messiah was prophesied to speak in parables. And Jesus said, that's another reason why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because it applies to your life but I'm also doing it because it's gonna to demonstrate to you that I am the one that the prophets spoke about. It's just another detail. It's just another clue. It's just another piece in the puzzle. The essence of his answer in Matthew 13, 11 to 17 was, the biblical mysteries were best understood by men using simple illustrations. Why? Because people remember stories more easily than they do facts. Men, in particular, love stories. I'm sure women, you love stories too, or there wouldn't have been things like uh, One Day at a Time and all of those other soap operas. So I know you must love it as the world turns and all. Yeah, come on, I know that stuff. (laughs) But you love stories. People love stories. And so Jesus wanted to explain these very important and valuable truths in a way that they could handle, they could grasp. Our lesson this morning is entitled, Lighten uh, Lighten Up. And I want to show you why it says that as we turn to our text, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. And let's stand together for the reading of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. And can you read it? Can you see it? Would you read it along with me? You ready? Let ye are the light of the world, A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and giveth light unto all that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I guess that's not up there, huh? Okay, you may be seated. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. Y-E, when you see Y-E in a King James Bibles, do you know what it means? What? You, you, yeah, That's in Brooklyn, it's use, Or they can also use yiz. It's a plural. Jesus is speaking to a, a number of people. When he says thee or thou, he's speaking to a person, an individual. So don't get confused over the ye and the thee. The ye is for everybody, the thee is for you. And he says, ye are the light of the world. God has gifted all believers with his light. You are the light. You have Jesus' light in you. This is a gift that you give away to others, his light. The believer's life work is to glow and go into the world in the name of Jesus and shine. People can almost see Jesus in your face. They can almost see Jesus as you go through difficult times when they look at you. Our life's work is to touch the lives of people with whom we come in contact. When you turn on the lights in a dark place, everything gets illuminated. When you're a Christian and you walk into a room, you, whether you realize it or not, can illuminate the room. People can feel the warmth of who you are and the warmth of Jesus living through you. So if we work back Through or backwards through our text, we can discover the kinds of light we are to be. Verse 16 says that we are to be reflectors of Jesus' light. Jesus said in John 8.12, I am the light of the world. Those people say, well, wait a minute. Jesus said, You're the light of the world. And then he says, He's the light of the world. Isn't that a contradiction? And the answer is no. We reflect him because we are light to other people. People see Jesus reflected in us by our kindness, our love, our charity, our character, our honesty, our integrity. Do we find a lot of honesty and integrity today in our culture? How many people can we trust? You and I are supposed to be people of character and integrity. This is the goal for us. This is where we are to aspire We are supposed to have people, we are supposed to be people with some biblical values because people read those values in our activities, in our attitude, in our behavior, and if we're just drifting along, if we don't have the mercy and the grace that's supposed to come from Jesus, how will people ever see the love and the mercy and the peace that that Jesus has to offer? If they don't see it in you, where are they going to see it? And that falls on you and that falls on me. People are still looking for the qualities that Jesus had as they stand in sharp contrast to the darkness we see in our culture today. Yeah, we're counterculture. We should act and respond and behave in such a way that people see the contrast between us and the people we work with, between us and the people who are in church with us, between us and the people who are out on the street, the people we meet. There should be a contrast everywhere we go. This, this, I should be able to turn the lights off in this place and the whole place will be illuminated like a fire with your love. If ever the world needed the church to reflect Jesus, it's today. These are desperate times. These are difficult times. These are times when people are challenged in so many ways. These are times in which people are desperate How desperate are they? Turn on your TV and watch the local news and see what's happening in Philadelphia and see what's happening in Newark and see what's happening in New York. The frustration, the anger, the fear. It's a revolution going on on our streets and nobody seems to be doing anything about it. I don't think anybody knows what to do with this age of rage, but Jesus knows what to do if people will allow him in their heart. Verse 15 says, the world needs believers to be spotlights, spotlights. The lights went out in the house. What was the first thing you did? When you're, and almost all of us had the lights go out over the last couple of weeks. When the lights went out, the first thing we did was look at a flashlight. A flashlight put light on various things. And the reason we put this, our flashlight on was so we didn't bump into things. I don't need any more bumping to take care of my knees, you know? Our work is to use the spotlight of God's truth and point people to Jesus to lead them through the obstacles that would otherwise keep them from receiving Christ as Savior. That's your job, your responsibility to share Jesus on a personal level, to share Jesus around the table. A lot of things happen for Italians around the table. That's where we talk, that's where we uh, visit, that's where we share stories, that's where we share disappointment. I can't tell you how many tears have been shed over a table. The dear lady, uh, Aurora, who was like a spiritual mother for me, when she passed away, we were reminded of the fact of the night she got saved. She got saved when we lived in Staten Island around our kitchen table. And we had Christian friends and, and we were there, of course, and we shared the gospel with her, and that night she got saved around the kitchen table. Only fitting for an Italian to get saved around the kitchen table. And she's stuck with it. Truth is a precious commodity, and the path of truth requires someone to lead the way. Acts 8, 36-39 tells of the account of Philip and the Ethiopian, who was an assistant to the queen of Ethiopia. This guy is reading Isaiah chapter 53 very very famous a lot of a lot of jewish scholars avoid isaiah to begin with and then they definitely avoid isaiah 53 because the question comes up among their students who is this talking about who is it that would be would be like a like a sheep and all and and, and he would life would be sacrificed yet he'd open not his mouth he wouldn't be angry he'd be loving who is this person and of course if they really answered they say that's a, The verse and the chapter about the Messiah. And then they would start to inquire about this Jesus. I know that happened in my life. I had some Jewish friends who were former rabbis who came to Jesus Christ reading the book of Isaiah and, in particular, trying to get answers about Isaiah 53. Well, this Ethiopian wanted to know who this person was in Isaiah 53. And it was Philip's responsibility to go over to him and say to him, Do you know what you're reading? And and the Ethiopian said, how can I unless some man teach me? We all need help along the way. We all need somebody to be an example. We all need somebody to shine the light of truth onto the scripture and into our hearts. We need people who will plant these things in us. Philip used a spotlight to guide, show, teach, and direct this man about Jesus. Verse 14 says the believer is a lighthouse beacon. A lighthouse sits on the coastline Warning ships caught in a storm or fog away from the rocks so they won't be destroyed. We're warning lights. Listen to Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. How many people are on Broadway just taking in all of the things the world has to offer, all the so-called delights, all the seductions, all the ways in which our minds can be corrupted. We see so much on television. The commercials even seem corrupt. Things that are brought to our attention that 10 years or a dozen years ago would never have been on television, let alone in a commercial, being used to try to seduce us into thinking and looking at things in a certain way. Bible says that there's a way that seems right onto a man, but the end of it all is death and destruction. Our culture is being destroyed. Our children are being, are, are being uh, brainwashed. Our children are being taken down a road that will lead them to destruction. Do we care enough about our children to do something about that? Your parental responsibility. You say, well, I'm not a parent, my kids are older now. But then maybe you're a grandfather and a grandmother. Or then maybe you're an aunt and an uncle. Or maybe you're a family friend and you see what's going on. You're a Christian. What do you do about that? Shining the warning light on a culture heading to destruction, not my job. It's part of my job, but it's part of yours too. It's our job. If we don't warn people, who will? We are in fact the conscience of this nation. Do you believe that? Christians are the conscience of this nation, and that's why we're so hated. And that's why we would, they would like us to be canceled. That's why, they, why they'd like us to shut up. Because we stand for things, not just stand against things. We believe life is precious and sacred out and in the womb. We believe marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Sex is a beautiful gift from God reserved for marriage. Vulgarity, blasphemy, violence, promiscuity are not free speech. Children and the culture as a whole are paying a very high price for these lower standards. The culture is paying a price for this. You can see it every day. It's the believer who must stand against injustice, racism, bigotry, and bad manners. I mean, I've, I, I, I've, I've walked in front of people and heard the vulgarity. You, just, you can't believe it. When Jesus said he is the light of the world, what are some of those implications? Well, John 1.4 says he's the light of salvation. There's no other way to receive Jesus Christ, to get to heaven and be saved, except by going through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. But, Pastor, that's so close-minded. Why could it only be that Jesus is the only way? You people are so wrong. The Bible says that every other way leads to destruction. The Bible says that God is the one who defines the way to heaven. And Father God, who is Father God to the Muslims, he's Father God to the Hindus, he's Father God to so many, they call him Father. But God has said there's only one way to heaven and it's through Jesus Christ. I don't make apologies for that. I stand up and show why he's worthy and his sacrifice why he did so much, why his love is worth our attention. Isaiah 60, verse 20, Jesus is the light of comfort to those who are afraid and lonely. And loneliness is one of the biggest problems in our country today. Fear is right along with it. You know, people used to love going into Manhattan for restaurants and movies and theater. 40% of the people are not returning to New York. The statistics are astounding. A lot of uh, places like CVS and uh, I forget the other one's name, they're closing up in New York because they're being robbed. 20% of their profits are right out the door because things are being stolen off the shelves. They're putting plastic guards over it. What in the world have you ever seen something like that? People are stealing bandages. It's good for Johnson & Johnson. You know, Band-Aid is a big product. But what about the rest of us? Psalm 8411 says he's the light of promise and hope to the disenfranchised and the homeless trapped in the inequities of society. When, when you look at, at, uh, at the news and you see all these homeless families, are you happy with what you see? Are you disgusted with what you see? Are you fearful for our country with what you see? I remember going into Manhattan when I, was, when I worked in, uh, in business and I'd go through the Lincoln Tunnel and I'd come out and I'd see people living in boxes right along the, uh, the entrance to the, to the Lincoln Tunnel. It was terrible. It's worse now. There were certain things those people weren't allowed to do in public. But now, anything goes in public. It, it's terrible. This is, this is, the, this is the, the example of a compassionate country, a compassionate city. New York City is the, is the most famous city in the world. And it's supposed to be one of the richest cities in the world, and that's how we treat our homeless. Christians have to speak up about that. Malachi 4.2, Jesus is the light of healing and health. He holds his light at the end of a long dark tunnel of depression. A laser light weaves its way through and to the dark and secret places of our mind and emotions. It's not just physical illness that God is concerned about. He's concerned about your mind, He's concerned about your emotions. He's concerned about your emotional well-being. He's concerned about those things as well. And he's concerned about depression. And depression is on the rise in our country. And I think around the world. Jesus is the answer. This is why Jesus is the way. 2 Corinthians 3.18, he's the light of a new attitude. His light drives out the negative thoughts, which I often call stinking thinking. His light drives out the feelings of being a victim and bathes us in the glow of being victorious. What's your attitude? Are you negative? Are you filled with negativity? I mean, you can't see anything positive for you. There's never such a thing as a glass half full. It's always empty. Check your heart. Jesus can give you and me a new attitude. Optimism. Micah 7, 8, he's the light of new beginnings. God is the God of the second chance A bright new day, a day without Jesus is a day without his sunshine. How's your attitude? Jesus is the way to a better attitude. He's the way to all the things I mentioned. If your attitude is negative, if your attitude is down, if you're down in the mouth about things and you need a lift, Jesus wants to lift you up this morning. He wants to encourage you. You must believe that, and if you believe that, then you know that He can do it because with him nothing is impossible. Verse 15, Jesus tells us not to hide our light. What would happen if the sun failed to shine today? Well, it's not going to shine today, but what if it kept going? Not shine tomorrow, not shine the day after, not shine for a week, not shine for a month. How long would this planet have before it became a frozen planet, not capable of supporting life? There have been many movies made like that. In time, the world would become cold, so cold it would not be able to support life the way God intended. What if you and I fail to shine for Jesus starting tomorrow? What if you're not doing it today? What if nobody knows you're a Christian, you're a secret agent? What if nobody knows what Jesus has done in your life? The people you love the most, do they know? Do they know about your commitment to Christ? Do they know that Jesus loved you when you were a sinner? They need to know that. The place where the believer is in the world, standing firmly on God's word, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and lonely world. No one else will do it if you don't. Who's reaching out to your family? Who's touching the people in your family who don't know Jesus as Savior? Every time I do a funeral, which I'm privileged to, do, and this week I had three of them, Every chance I have, I will preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus. Guess why? Because they're very vulnerable at that moment to hear. They're, they're thinking about life and death. And when you think about life and your death and you put Jesus in the equation, makes all the difference in the world to remind them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the what? The life. He's life. No one else can do what you can do with your family. If it's not someone else's job, it's your job. You are the light of the world. Not to shine is to plunge the world further into a spiritual ice age. Think about that. Time is running out, Romans thirteen twelve says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let's not Let's not futz around with things that don't really matter. Let's get involved in things eternal. You have it in your voice. You have it in your heart. The Holy Spirit is within you to give you whatever you need to speak to the people in your sphere of influence who don't know Jesus. While some Christians debate the need for evangelism in the 21st century, And others gave up evangelism in the 20th century. Our parable proclaims in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Operative word, let. It's in there, but you have to do it. You have to let it out. You have to share it with others. You have to turn on the light. When the light goes out in your house, you have to grab the flashlight. You have to hit the button, and then the light shines. You have to be as intentional about reaching people for Christ as you do bringing light into your house when the power is out. Because people are stumbling around. You have the light to keep them from breaking their neck. God wants to reach an unbelieving world through your witness. Romans 10:17. so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But the Bible also says in John chapter 3, men love darkness better than light. Is it going to be easy to speak to the people in your world? No. Will they want to hear it? Some yes, some no. When Jesus spoke and Paul spoke, guess what the statistics say? One-third of the people agreed. One-third of the people didn't. And one-third of the people say, let me think about it. It's going to happen to you that way. But think about the third that say, yes. They want to hear more about Jesus. It's not meant to discourage you. It's meant to challenge you. Being light in a dark world is a formidable challenge. But God's Holy Spirit living in you, the Holy Spirit is up to that challenge So it's not gonna depend on you. It's gonna depend on you allowing the Holy Spirit to provide a door of opportunity. When somebody says something you know really could be answered by sharing the gospel. Somebody may come to you over the next week and say, Christmas season, I don't believe in it. Bah humbug. People may come to you over the course of this week and say, I'm so miserable. Life has no meaning. I'm so disgusted and so discouraged. There's your your cue. Somebody may come to you over the next few weeks and say to you, everybody disappoints me. Everybody's against me. Nobody likes me. I don't even know who my friends are anymore. There's your chance. So you have to be listening. People say to you, I don't believe in religion. Guess what? I don't believe in religion either. As your pastor, I believe in a relationship. Amen? I believe in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion can kill you, but Jesus will save you. So these are the things I wanted to share with you from a parable this morning that tells you to lighten up. In other words, let your light so shine that people will see Jesus in you this, this week. Okay? Got a deal? Father God, we thank you that we can, we have within us the capacity to share with people because your Holy Spirit is in us Help us not to get discouraged or not to find excuses or not, not to hide behind being embarrassed or we can't talk or we're not theologians, we're not Sunday school teachers, we're not this, that, or the other things. We are believers in Jesus Christ, and that's all we need is to share our testimony of what Jesus has done and what a wonderful change he has made in our life and in the life of people we know are followers of him. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.